Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Danielle Moody. I'm Wajahat Ali. And we are so happy uh, to kick off, I guess, our second show of the new year. I have no idea how many weeks have passed in 2023. Time is a construct, folks. But we are so happy to welcome uh, to Democracy-ish Taylor Lorenz, who is a technology and internet Whiz kid, uh, and you have a new book coming out in the fall. Uh, Wajahat, I will kick it over to you to do a intro about because with your movie phone voice. Go ahead. Taylor Lawrence has a new book coming out in the fall called Extremely Online. In 2020, Fortune named her 40 under 40. Uh, did I do that pretty well, Taylor? Did I miss anything? <laughs> No, that's I'm I'm honored by the intro. You you can Thank you. This is this is why this is the only reason why I decided to do the podcast just for these brief moments where I can do my movie phone <laughs> voice. Uh no, Taylor, thank you for joining us in addition to being a technology writer and also the writer of the internet's and being extremely online. Uh I think for many of our listeners what what's what's going to be really instructive uh for them is you have focused um uh on these right-wing groups. Uh, online. Uh, people have used and abused the online space to specifically target marginalized communities. And not only that, but I think, unfortunately, uh, your role, your life has been instructive of what happens when you're a person of color or a woman who goes after these groups and how they come after you with like a viciousness. And, I, you know, this is the first time we've actually talked and I've just been following from afar. And I'm like, wow, I, I wonder how she's doing. Because, and you know, because for, for those who mm. don't know, you know, they have put their targets on you. And so just to set the stage, if you don't mind, can you tell folks from your point of view, mm. what happened when you decided to talk about libs of TikTok? And we've talked about that, that group or that lady on this show before, but for those who don't know, libs of TikTok is run by one individual in particular 
And now she has been mainstreamed by right-wing media that really she goes after LGBTQ plus folks and accuses liberals of grooming. And she goes after drag queens. And as a result, in the past year, that has been amplified. And now you're seeing violence, intimidation, and threats. So you're the first one to really be like, well, who is Libs of TikTok? Let me do a piece. And then all hell broke loose. Can you take us through that journey? Yeah, well, hell had been bringing... Hell had been breaking loose uh, for me a couple years before that. It really started when I joined the New York Times, to be honest. Um, I think, um, you know, I write about online influence. And a lot of times that has to do with far right online influence. As we know, the far right has been extremely adept at using the Internet um, for their own devices. Um, And so, you know, when I joined the Times, I think it amplified my work in this way and mainstreamed it in a way that they hate, right? It it like sort of, you know, it's one thing to write about the stuff that I do for these smaller blogs where they can kind of dismiss it. But I think when you're writing for legacy media, it, you know, ruffles their feathers because that actually challenges their power. So, um, you know, it, it's, I did expose, uh, I guess, um, you know, I, I reported, I, let me just put that better. Um, you know, I did report on libs of TikTok and reveal, um, the, identity of the woman who ran it, although it was not that hard to reveal. She had been tweeting under her personal name, uh, you know, from from January 6th, uh, just a year before. Um, but um, but yeah, I think that was just sort of this continuation of a lot of the reporting that I've done that over the past couple of years has completely um, upended my life and really it's been crazy. <laughs> so if you don't, mind, if you don't, oh, sorry, go ahead, Daniel. I, no, I, 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 I was going to, I was going <laughs> to say, Taylor, you know, as a, a woman, a woman of color and a queer woman on the internet, like navigating uh, the hatefulness that hides behind bots and hides behind fake aliases and all of those things is par for the course when you decide that you're going to use your voice, when you're going to use your skill. And what we know, as you so said, that the far right, and I don't even like to call them the far right, they're just who they are, which is Republicans and white nationalists, misogynists and what have you, do not believe in people who they do not like, namely anyone that is not white and not cis and not hetero, using their voice to bring attention to anything. And so can you just provide, you know, and I don't mean to re-traumatize in any type Mm. of way, but provide some more like an example or some context as to, yeah, as to what you, uh, what you have been dealing with so that people understand there are real people that are behind, you know, the, the attacks that come at you are coming not at your avatar, but to a real person. I mean, I've had IRL, incidents. I, I mean, I'm so grateful to um, the detective at the LAPD that I've worked with, who's incredible and has really, um, you know, really helped me maintain my safety. Um, but I've been doxxed. My entire family has been doxxed and my family members have been swatted. My, my best friend, pretty much wow. anybody that's been tagged with me on Instagram has been stalked and swatted. And, you know, people will, will try and destroy their employment. I mean, people have tried to get my relatives fired from their jobs. People have, um, you know, tried to, um, you know, say that they're calling CPS on relatives of mine who are, um, who are gay, who have children, um, to say that, you know, they're grooming their children and they should have their children taken away. Um, they've downranked, you know, 
family members of mine, businesses, they've, they've, wow. I mean, it, it, the level of harassment um, is nonstop. And, and not to mention the, you know, all day, every day, death threats, rape threats, the most vile stuff you can imagine, um, you know, being confronted on, on every platform. I don't even see the stuff on Twitter because I have everything muted, but you know, it's coming, it's coming to my phone. I've had to change phone numbers many times. I've moved out of apartments to, um, for safety reasons. Um, I've had to, um, you know, not leave my house for several days. I've been escorted out of events by security because there's very credible threats, uh, physical violent threats. Um, I mean, I could go on and on, and a lot of it is is stuff that's um, the police are 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 working on. So I can't get into details on some of that, but um, it's been really bad. Um, I will say, as I've said so many times, I don't care about all of that. I cover YouTubers for a living. I can handle all that. the The difficult part is how your employers react and how these media companies react. That is what keeps me up at night. And that is what has been difficult and, and traumatizing is, is how these bad actors are able to exploit legacy media institutions and, um, you know, just to, to destroy, destroy the lives of anyone that they target. And, um, you know, I think that, that it's been really difficult. That is what's difficult. I don't care about the death threats. I, I mean, again, I, I made the decision to cover YouTubers. Everything that these people do, trust me, the YouTube world is crazy. The influencer world is, is crazy. I, you know, it's all really bad, but I think I can deal with it as long as I know that I have the support of the organization that I work for. And I think that is the challenging part is they've been very good at taking these institutions and turning them against their own journalists. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I, I'm sorry mm, that you feel mm, like mm, you have mm. to take it because what you just uh, described is a laundry list of horrors that, you know, like I said, I've been falling, but I didn't know it was that bad. 
And, it's way uh, worse, but you know, it's way worse than that. It's so. You're much like, oh, worse. that's just the that's just the appetizer. That's the stuff I can say publicly. Wow, it's bad. And, and that and 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 you know this shouldn't be normal. Or like, and I just want this. I want to say this before the the question I ask you is that this is not normal behavior. It's behavior that is coddled and rationalized and tolerated because it is done by conservatives. Because it is done often, not always, by white conservatives, right? And so we're supposed to just take it. And the rest of us are supposed to say, well, they have economic anxiety. Well, they have grievance. Well, you know, our job is to be Charlie Brown and their job is to be Lucy. And they'll always take the football away from us. And then our job is to always, you know, just move the goalposts. And when you talk about the institutions we've talked about on this show before, what we've always complained about, you know, as Danielle said, she's a black queer woman. I'm a Muslim man. We come from different perspectives. We see a different America where the institutions have always bent the knee, Taylor to these bad faith actors who keep abusing them. And, and can you, I mean, now that you're in the inside with uh, legacy papers, right? New York Times, right? you write for the Washington Post. And I used to be a contributing op-ed writer for New York Times. I also used for the CNN, used, used to work for CNN. I saw how the right wing works the refs. And it's a sports reference where they keep, if you will, whining and complaining. And the refs, in order to be seen as neutral, then do everything in their possible in their power to do a type of Cirque du Soleil gymnastics to placate a right-wing minority that does not care to play by the rules, gets power, and then subverts them from within. Um, how is it now? Do you think we've learned the lesson in 2023 after seeing the death threats, after seeing them being called enemy of the people? Are these institutions still bending the knee, or do you see some type of pushback? I, where I, I, where would you see the pushback? I, I mean, I, I don't. <laughs> I was I don't, hoping for some good news, Taylor. I, I mean, I, I think in the journalism, perhaps, um, you know, in the journalism, I think that, you know, look, my colleagues at, at all of the legacy institutions that I've worked with, the journalists are doing a phenomenal job. The writers and the reporters, um, and many of the editors are doing incredibly fantastic work, including my my colleagues, you know, where I work currently incredible work um, holding power to account and reporting on this really tough stuff. Um, I think when it comes to, you know, the way that, that journalists are treated by their organizations, um, we have an industry-wide problem. And specifically, I'm, I'm talking about the legacy media industry here, where I've worked at many of these institutions, and um, they, are, they are completely unprepared. They have learned, I think, no lessons. In fact, I think they've learned the wrong lessons um, where they're, they're really, it's really bad. It's a really bad situation. Um, and I, I worry about that because I have enough, I mean, I say this a lot. I have enough clout. I have enough online following. I never went to journalism school. You know, I don't give a shit about working for the New York Times or whatever, like that's never on my list. I'm happy to work there if they're going to aggressively recruit me and pay me. Sure. But, um, but you know, it's, I can do whatever I want. Younger people, the younger women on my beat, my beat is almost entirely women. Um, especially the, the ones doing really important work. Um, they don't have those opportunities. They don't have the, the online following. They don't have the track record. They don't have the connections that I have. You know, I, I have a lot of that. And so I'm very lucky. And I think despite all of my privilege, the fact that I'm still 
dealing with this and, and unable to combat this in a meaningful way, I think it, it's a very terrifying story. I mean, for instance, I wrote a, a big feature a couple months ago on um, student journalists and how this exact same playbook is being weaponized now against student journalists, specifically young journalists of color, trans journalists, and young women journalists. And these student journalists are being driven out of the industry before they even enter into it because these online mobs and these, these horrible radicalized people online are basically creating BS media storms and they're branding these journalists as controversial. And, may, and then no one wants to hire them because they think, why would I hire this you know, 21-year-old where there's all of her Google results are about how she's a controversial you know, hmm. student journalist who reported, you know, they just, that is the point. It's to it's it's reputational harm. I, the death threats. I, I know it's bad, and I know I'm I'm really fucked up because I I have normalized it to myself. But the reputational harm is the goal. It's not just to terrorize you, which is part of it. It's to smear you in the press in a way that suddenly makes you controversial and makes the things that you say automatically kind of discredited because suddenly your reputation is questioned. And that's certainly what's happened to me. I mean, just the fact that people you know, and other mainstream journalists buy into it. I mean, look at like New York Magazine and these other places that have written about me in this deranged way. That's just out of touch with reality. They're, what they're parroting is the same phrasing that's directly from Fox News and directly from, from you know, other far-right um, outlets. And that's, you know, that's scary. One, one of the things that I think is really difficult at the place that journalism finds itself at, which is a similar place that the education uh, profession finds itself at, which is a similar position that activists find themselves at, is that we're not using the right language to describe what is happening. Instead, what we are doing is you know, using euphemisms and saying that this is just, quote unquote, par for the course. The reality is, is that these people are fucking terrorists. Right. And we're afraid to say what it is that they are for fear of being seen as being hyperbolic. But when you decide and, and I and I will go further to say that they are terrorists and they act and operate the way that criminal organizations do, which is that I'm not just going to go after you and bankrupt you. I'm going to bankrupt your fucking family, your family's family, and I'm going to kill your dog on top of that, right? Because I'm sending a message out to everyone around you that so you dare to open mm. up your mouth or open up your laptop and share your opinions or thoughts that you're going to be next. And the fact and God, is- and, it, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. God forbid you try and protect yourself from that, your news right. organization will punish you. Mm. And so, so the point here is that for those people um, who find themselves in positions where you do have clout, you do have access, you have created a, a resume and a career path that speaks for itself, that if we don't figure out ways, and I'm not talking about you, uh, Taylor, because I think that in all honesty, you've done enough and you've been through enough, but I'm talking about other people who are so quick to do the clickbait shit, so quick to do the thing that's going to make them pop, that what we're doing is helping these terrorists hollow out this industry so all that is left are the fucking clout chasers. So all that are left 
is, you know, is are the people that are just trying to make a name for themselves and not actually trying to name what is happening in our society because this shit is pervasive. I just named three other industries that this is happening in. You're driving teachers out of the classroom because guess what? They don't want to be labeled as groomers. They don't want to have to, you know, go to toe to toe at a school board meeting about why they're teaching about Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King. And now they're being called uh, an activist teacher, right? And so, or they are gay and God forbid that they are gay and work with children. Now we're going back to the eighties and the, and the sixties and seventies and eighties where you're a fucking pedophile, right? So people who are well-meaning, who have something to offer are being driven out of these professions, which is exactly what terrorists do. Right. So that everybody that has a good heart and a good mind stays shuttered in because you should be fucking fearful if you have death threats coming at you every goddamn day. Right. Like you're not a soldier. You're you're not you you're you're not, not supposed to be equipped to do that. It's not just the death threats. It drives me crazy when not not that. I, and I agree it's bad, but it drives me so insane as if people act like death threats are the worst thing. The worst thing is what they do to your reputation. Yes. Death threats you can deal with because most of them are bullshit, right? Like, I, I mean, I, those are things that you can control your reaction to your re- reputation. And for instance, you know, what I've dealt with CNN or, you know, these reporters just basically regurgitating made up right-wing media BS, um, about me, you know, those are things that I don't control and that future employers will see or people see, right? Suddenly you have all these people that think of me and have this cartoon version of me that's not based in reality. And it's, it's been warped by the media. And I think, I mean, I just, that bothers me so much more than the death threats, which are horrible and nobody should deal with. And it is, their goal is to terrorize you and terrorize everyone affiliated with you. And it's not okay. And it's horrible and it's, it's evil. But I just, I really that second part of it is something mm-hmm. that I think so often gets missed in these conversations. But I think it's tied, right? Because it's yes. part of the violence yes, and intimidation the and the yeah. smearing, right? Because first they're going after you as an individual because you had the audacity to actually hold them accountable. They're going after any news outlet as enemy of the people. They're smearing the election process, fraud. They're going after schools, calling them indoctr- indoctrination centers and going after teachers. Now law enforcement is part of the deep state. So I think the smearing and the language that is used to dehumanize is the first step. Then you bring in the violence and the intimidation and the threats. And then, as Danielle said, people are like, yo, I have to pay my bills. Right. This isn't worth it. And so the tactic is, is that you seed the ground. You seed the ground, you seed the space, and then they come in and take over. And the institutions do not learn. And, you know, when I was at CNN, I've, I've told the story before, it, it is what bothers me also is the fickleness, the weakness, the hypocrisy, and the projection of these folks, right? Because they actually do what they accuse us of, of doing. Yes. They're the ones who's, who are canceling all of us. They're the ones who don't want, you know, they want only safe spaces for themselves. They want zero accountability. They want civility for themselves, but they want the right to be cruel to everyone else. And anytime I challenge these folks on CNN, in the most lighthearted manner, I used to get a warning because they used to complain to my superior that I was being like, you know, unfair and unprofessional to them and made them look bad. And I got like three strikes, Danielle. Like, and I'm like, wait, what? Are you kidding me? And I I never snitched ever. Despite all the crap they said against me, I'm like, whatever, just right-wing media. And I feel like there's something here where the mainstream, the majority just sits there and takes it again and again. And and specifically, I want to talk about a tactic 
that they've used and a word they've used against you to smear you because they've tried to do it against me. Doxing. Can you explain how they have deliberately abused and misdefined doxing to come out as victims? Because I think it's important. People don't realize it. No, people don't realize it. And they, you know, they do. The the, the word doxing is very similar to the word groomer, right? It's this word that they've taken with these connotations and they've weaponized it and basically stripped it of all of its meaning. I mean, doxing is revealing non-public information, private information, generally like home addresses, things like that, right? Like deeply personal information and putting that into the public sphere. And that is not what I've ever done. I mean, let's be clear. I never, never revealed libs of TikTok, high RHX address. I never linked to any personal address of hers ever, never, never. It's so funny because these people always say, oh, you linked to her real estate license website. Yeah, exactly. That's like somebody linking to the Washington Post. It's not only that, that's put Mm -hmm. online for the public. It's like someone linking to the Washington Post and me saying, oh, but the address for the Washington Post business is there. By the way, this woman had lived in California and had left that job like seven years prior. It had no, there's no way to even relate anything that to her personal address. I had all of her personal addresses. I still, you know, that is my job as a reporter to like look up and and I was trying to determine who she was basically based off her voting records and things like that. And um, we would never, I would never post that. I would never reveal that. Yet immediately when I published that story, my address is posted. My home address Mm -hmm. is posted. My parents' home address Mm -hmm. is posted. That's how my parents get swatted and stalked in person. You know, people... that that is doxing what they're and so and and taylor just 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 real quick for those who don't know what swatting is it means that people try to actually call the swat on you and they they lie about you know violent confrontation yeah so they'll lie and they'll say somebody is there you know murdering a child or whatever you need to and so they'll send this massive team it's a federal crime of police officers who can often you know break down your door they can't get in um and arrest you. And, you know, they, they, in their mind, they're going into the SWAT team to, to placate a crime. Obviously, that's not what's happening. It's, it's a terror. It's a terror tactic. And it's yep. a federal crime. And people have died this way because it's very dangerous. Luckily, my family are like white suburban people in the middle of the country, right? Like they're, they're not, it, it, you know, thankfully, they have not been physically harmed by the police. However, colleagues of mine, especially younger women, um, you know, they're not white and, and they don't live in a nice neighborhood the way that my parents do. And so the police, having that interaction with the police can go very badly, very quickly. And that is the point. That's, that's, the, that's the point of, of these types of terror campaigns. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities. Healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country. Immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun. And candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And I think that, you know, here we are, the three of us discussing this. And I think that a lot of people in their minds say, well, you know, it was your choice to go into this public profession, right? And that it is, you know, it becomes then the issue of, well, again, this is par for the course. And I don't, and I think that because what the mainstream media and what these news outlets have failed to do and continue to fucking fail to do, which is why I call out mainstream media all the time, is that they don't actually tell the story behind the story, right? They'd actually, because you want, you want real clickbait? How about you talk about how, you know, these middle-aged white women are are some of the biggest homegrown terrorists in this country because they use the the fact of how this country treats and idealizes uh and celebrates white women and femininity and they fucking weaponize it right in a way that costs people their jobs their lives in so many instances and I can go through every part of history and bring it back to today um where that would be the core, the core point. But you see, what I find is that whiteness never holds whiteness accountable. And that to me is a large part of why mainstream media will cower to these criminals in the way that they do, will back off, right, in the way that they do. Because I got to tell you that if the people that were attacking you were perceived to be people that look like Wajrami, they would be in jail right? They would be under a jail, right? They would have found some way to pick those people up off of the street, made a, uh, an example of them, right? Um, so the fact is, is that we don't talk about the stories behind the stories as to why this is allowed to have become so pervasive in our society. And so I, wanna, I want you to speak to that because, you know, you have mentioned a couple of times about these younger of uh, women journalists who also are people of color. And again, I want people to understand how whiteness and racism and misogyny are connected to what is being done at the hands in many ways of white women. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think it's like, also I, I get so defensive about certain parts of the mainstream media, like my colleagues at the Post, right? Or at the New York Times, like, they are doing amazing with the journalists, the, 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 the reporters, right? These are not people that are making millions not of dollars. Not the C-suite. A year. I'm talking about the C-suite folks. Yeah. So not let's the talk people about that are, the, yeah. the leadership in, in sort mm -hmm. of the broad industry. Um, I mean, this is the problem. Look at who the leaders of the industry are. And this is why we need change. We need change in this whole industry because I think we are shutting people out. And it's, it's, it's tied up. It's uh, so much of that, you know, um, bigotry is never just like one thing, as you're mentioning, it's, it's white women, it's white men, but sometimes it's people of color that have been radicalized, right? We all know those types of people too, that will, will participate in these campaigns, despite the fact that they're, you know, deeply racist and, and problematic. I just think that, um, it, it's all really bad. I mean, the, what, what I, I would say I, have dealt with is a specific brand of misogyny that is applied to 
I would say relatively attractive young white women. Um, and there's others on my beat as well that have dealt with that, where I think we are seen as, you know, it's like the type of thing that you saw where, well, there's, there's like a lot of high profile stuff like this, but it's a very specific type of misogyny that's mostly driven by men against a specific type of attractive, conventionally attractive white women. Um, that's its own brand of misogyny. Then you have the misogyny against young black women and people and women of color on my beat that is intertwined with racism. And so it's so much more insidious because, um, because they, it, it's like, it's like a double, you know, it's just worse. Misogynoir. It's yeah. It's like, it's really bad. And, um, and all of, all of it, all of it accomplishes, you know, whatever, whatever thing they want to target, or sometimes it's sexuality too. Right. Um, one of, there's a young reporter on my beat who's in her early twenties, who's, you know, openly gay and the way that she's targeted is very different um, than the way I, as a straight woman, is targeted. All of these have the same campaign, like all of these have the same goal, which is to preserve, as you mentioned, this status quo of mm-hmm. rich old white people controlling yep. everything. And that is yep. the, that is the problem. We need to build an inclusive media ecosystem, and we know that the traditional media has not done that well. I mean, look at the industry, right? Look at these trends in the industry. We need to build a better system. That's why I, I mean, look, I didn't get into the media through traditional realm. I'm a very, I have a very unconventional career path. There's not, it's, it's hard. I think I'm, I'm able to do that because I'm a white woman. I think people who have sought to do that and replicate that and don't look like me have a harder time. They're, they're, Mm -hmm. they're, it's hard for them. So you could talk to me and Danielle. We could we could get you stories. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I wanted to ask this question because as a reporter, you have followed internet culture and, and you follow oftentimes how uh, something that's on the fringe becomes mainstream. And if you can, for our listeners, you know, explain to us how a libs of TikTok, which is hateful, which is so uh, homophobic, I mean, just deranged in its conspiracy theories, can be so influential to the point now where it is promoted by Tucker Carlson, Fox News, you know, the Daily, I think what it's called, Daily Wire, whatever one of those outlets, the one that's run by the guy, Matt Walsh, mm-hmm. where, you know, mm-hmm. they, they target hospitals now, they intimidate, uh, you know, uh, uh, doctors. Can you give an audit of why and how they are so successful and how come we're not able to stop them in their tracks, even though people like you are repeatedly warning us, yo, these are extremists promoting hate. Well, here's the thing. The media industry and the whole media ecosystem is changing. We are moving away from these legacy institutions and we're moving Mm -hmm. towards this more distributed media ecosystem. That has been happening for 20 years. That's actually what my entire book is about. All of this stuff is is you if you read extremely book, online yeah. coming out fall 2023 <laughs> but it's about i mean it's about the rise of the online creator industry and the the way that media from you know mommy bloggers in the early 2000s to what we have now with lives of tiktok is this broader evolution in the media landscape as and i wrote about this for neiman lab um actually last month is as we move into this new landscape the these powers, especially far-right extremists, they want to dominate that new landscape the way that they dominated the old landscape. And the way that they do that is by kind of putting up, I want to say like sock puppets almost, but basically taking these people that that are influencers, that are online influencers, 
giving them tons of tons of money, tons of professional backing, boosting them up, boosting their online influence so that they can then control online influence. I think that the whole so many so much of like the political wars today are just wars of online influence and 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 media narratives. And um and I think that's what they're doing. Like with someone like Libs of TikTok, right? Like she could not do all of this alone. The the reason that my story was was I thought newsworthy is because of the way the right wing media had kind of adopted her and the and the role that she played in that ecosystem. And look at look at uh, lots of others. Um, who are the other ones that I used in my? I mean, you see people talking. A lot of these billionaires talking about quote unquote citizen journalists, right? But they don't mean citizen journalists like Elon Jet or you know some of the leftist. Uh, podcasters that we see out here, they mean citizen journalists as in P- substackers that they're subsidizing, you know? Um, and so I to think- To the tune we, of six figures or millions, by the absolutely. way. Absolutely. I mean, look at Glenn, Glenn Greenwald now gets, a, as my colleague Drew Harwell has reported, um, you know, multiple six-figure fi- six, six salary from Rumble, a far-right YouTube competitor. Um, and so that, that's the thing. It's this, um, it's this we, we're, we're moving into this new media landscape and they are super aggressive about trying to co-opt and control that. And, and there's no counterbalance to that. And, and legacy institutions are having a very hard time adopting to that new landscape. And I think that's where we see these fissures, right, come, come to fruition. I think that, you know, one of the things that can be done um, in a lot of ways is that people need to continue to flood the zone. You see, like white supremacy continues to be as viable as it is because people back away. Right. And they just say that nothing is ever going to change. And what can I do? And I you know, I'm but one voice. And I think that there needs to be more collaborative community around how progressives and uh, people who care about equity. So, you know, humans with hearts um, lift each other up in a way that is more from a collaborative, not just, I want to be the hot one this, this year or this month on Twitter or on TikTok or whatever, but it's like, what does our ecosystem look like? Because I think that what we are going to see is that power does not give itself up, right? Like we know, we know that quote, we know, you know, that it will just continue to consume and scare and terrorize until everyone goes back into submission. And that's what the goal of this is, is to beat all of us back into submission and not to dare to think that we are able to move out of our station because the initial idea around the internet was around the democratization of information and news and the removal of gates. And so what they are doing is to reinforce that in these spaces so that the rest of us don't move out of our stations. And the only way to do that is to continue to beat the fucking door down. Right. Um, and to do fairly, you know, frankly, Taylor, what you are doing and have done is to continue to keep on keeping on to continue to like, not be silenced, um, as, as dangerous and as terrifying as I can't even imagine how it has been for you. Um, but you really are for many people, you know, a model for not backing down. Right. And so what does it look like for those people that are like, what can I do? What does it look like to hold space and community for people who are not afraid to use their voice? Um, and so so for that, Taylor, I just say thank you. Um, one, thank you for making the time to join us on Democracy Ish. But thank you 
for your reporting and your work. And in a lot of ways, I know that you're shrugging and you're saying like, it's not courage and it's not brave and it's not these things, um, but it is. Because anytime that somebody's trying to take away your voice and you say, fuck you, try me, um, that is what courage looks like. So I appreciate that and you. Well, thank you for saying that. I will just say that like, I think it's so, you know, having made it to the top of, you know, these legacy media institutions, I, I feel so strongly that we have to create spaces where journalists that want to do work like mine and these younger women on my beat and people of color and people that want a space, trans journalists who have almost no representation, we need media entities that, that will promote their work and allow that work to happen. We need media entities that will support a diverse, you know, vision of this future of media. And, and that's so important. And I think that, you know, I came up as a millennial in this age of digital media where there was all this promise, right, with like BuzzFeed and digital media and it was gonna, but it was all this VC backed bullshit. And what we really need is, um, is, is people taking power, as you said, and using their voices and, and creating spaces, whether that's a podcast or a YouTube show or a Twitch stream where, you know, we're pushing back on this radicalization and we're pushing back on these legacy structures that want to keep people oppressed. Um, and so that's, you know, I feel very strongly about that. Thank Absolutely. you, Taylor, for joining us. And this is why we do Democracy-ish. I get an excuse to do my movie phone voice and talk to Danielle and also talk to smarter people than me. But it's also a space and a forum where the rest of us, uh, who oftentimes fight for a country that doesn't fight for us and try to love a country that doesn't always love us back, uh, try our best to stretch and expand the tent so that all of us, especially those who are left out, have some comfort and some shade and get the conch and the microphone and have their voice heard. Thank you, Taylor, for joining us. Your book is called Extremely Online. It's out in the fall. I will be expecting a free copy, of course, in a few months. <laughs> and you can give her some love online as well when the trolls are after her. We will see you all next week. I'm Wajahat Ali. And I'm Danielle Moody. Thank you for listening to Democracy-ish. And we will be back next week if, in fact, we have a country left. Inshallah. <laughs>